Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Okay, Ben, we have a mayoral candidate on the program today. I need you on top of your game here, all right? Repeat after me. <laughs> Betty Botter bought some butter. Betty Botter bought some butter. Betty, Whoa! All right, that's good. That's good. Betty Botter bought some butter. Oh. And, it, and then shaped it into a butter cow. We got to make sure we're on top of our game, all right? Who, who's the 19th Ward Alderman? Go! Oh, come on, Matt O'Shea, give me the ball. All right, all right. (laughs) You got your wits about you. That's good. Now we need that passion. Hold on. Candidates try distancing themselves from Ed Burke. The truth is they're all tied to the same broken Chicago machine, except me. I'm Lori Lightfoot. I've prosecuted corrupt aldermen and held police accountable. Now I'm running for mayor to finally make City Hall work for you. Oh, God. I was one of the suckers, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> bought it hook, line, and say, I can't lie, Chicago. I'm going to stop saying you're dumb, Chicago, because I fell for it. Or maybe, I should, D, I should say I'm dumb. Hey, how's, how's that for a podcast? Uh-huh. Uh, I'm a, an astute analyst of politics, but I'm dumb. <laughs> Who's the 41st Ward Alderman? Go. Oh, man, it's my boy uh, uh, T- uh, Napolitano. I think you're warmed up. My work is done for the day. Your Ben Jarofsky Show for Thursday, November 3rd, is brought to you by SEIU Healthcare, Illinois, Indiana, the Chicago Federation of Labor, the Chicago Teachers Union, and Chicago Reader. ChicagoReader.com for all things there is to know the city of Chicago. Where to go, what to do, what to eat, what to drink. Every now and again, what kind of pond to smoke. Not every time, but sometimes, and so much more, including columns from our very own Ben Jarofsky. Will he write a column about his interview today with one Brandon Johnson? I don't know. You're going to have to check it out to find out. Chicago Reader, chicagoreader.com. And if you want to help out this program, you can. chicagoreader.com forward slash Jarofsky. J-O-R-A. V is in victory, S-K-Y. I like your suit. It's Thursday, November 3rd. And this is the Ben Jarofsky Show. And now your host, oh, he's warmed up and ready. Who's the 16th Ward Alderman? Go! Uh, 16th Ward Alderman. I'm blanking. I'm blanking. Oh, Hold no. on. I could do it. Uh, 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 I can't remember right now. It'll come to me in the middle of the show. Oh, start you the show over. Start the out. show over. Start it over. Uh, uh, a brain. What do they call that? Brain breakdown. Oh, my God. We are not ready yet. All right. Uh, anyway, are we ready? Yes. Hello, everybody. 16th, ben 16th Ward Alderman. Still got nothing? Uh, no. 16th Ward Alderman. Wait, wait. It'll come to me. Hold on now. Hold on. All right. All right. Ward Alderman, because things change uh, so often. Uh, Coleman. There we go. All right. Woo! Here we go. <laughs> it's been a while. You're not making a liar out of me, Jarofsky. Uh, and now, your host, he is warmed up and ready. Uh, Chicago uh, Reader columnist Ben Jarofsky. 
Hello, everybody. Ben Jarowski here. We're calling this Write Their Own Rules Thursday, and here's why. By the way, I'm not even absolutely sure that I got it right when I said Matt O'Shea was a Democratic committeeman of the 19th Ward, so let's just erase that part. Now, just keep it in. What the heck? Just show you, folks, I'm not a perfect human being, okay? God is not done with me yet, to quote the great Jesse Lewis Jackson. All right. So uh, write their own rules Thursday, and here's why and why. Well, I just want to alert you to a fascinating column uh, by Lynn Sweet, today's Chicago Sun-Times, uh, home delivered as always. And it's all about Dan Proft, a Richard Uline, uh, and uh, the packs that they have created uh, to support Darren Bailey and attack J.B. Pritzker. Uh, and Lynn Sweet's trying to get at it, pick it apart. You know, like who's giving the money and uh, like who's really in charge of this outfit. And, and, and the, the central conceit, the, the device uh, Dan Proft has settled on, Dan Proft is sort of, I guess, the brains behind this uh, anti-Pritzker operation. Uh, the money is Richard Uline, but the brains, uh, if, if that's the word that governs here, uh, is Dan Proft. And what they do is they disseminate newspapers things that come in the mail, <laughs> come into your, to your door, right? But that people like me, old boomers like me would trust because it's a newspaper. It's a paper with news on it, right? As opposed to something over the internet. Boomers love that stuff. I was just listening to this uh, uh, bit that uh, George Brett, speaking of boomers, one of the greatest baseball players of all time did on a sports show the other day. It's pretty funny stuff where he was just, he sounded like every boomer I've ever heard, myself included just going on a rant about how sports pages no longer have box scores. I need my box scores. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta look at the internet to find the box scores. I want my box scores. So anyway, boomers are accustomed to believing anything they see in a newspaper. Why? Because they've been accustomed to believe that newspapers follow certain rules. But Dan Proft, who is the brains behind a pack that says, what is it called? People who play by the rules, which is a hilarious title for a pack that supports Darren Bailey, since I can't really see what rules they play by. Play by It should be people who write their own rules, pack. Uh, Dan Proft has very cleverly taken that assumption that boomers have that newspapers are this valid entity this thing you can believe in, that they follow standards. They have rules that governing them. And he has just turned that upside down by using newspapers to disseminate stuff that has no journalistic, what, quality at all. Just made up stuff. You know, just like all of it is uh, intended to like corrupt your brain about J.P. Pritzker and get you afraid of J.P. Pritzker. Just make stuff up as they go along, disseminate it in a newspaper. Boomers are like, well, it's in a newspaper. It must be true. It's like they take an instrument and they use it for the exact opposite purpose. It's like a clever form of political jujitsu. Take a strength, take your weakness and make it a strength. Lynn Sweet, on the other hand, in contrast, is a veteran uh, columnist, reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times, and has been playing by the journalistic rules for a long time, at least as long as I've been uh, in the city of Chicago, been reading Lynn Sweet. There are rules that she was taught. There were rules that she abides by, and she follows them. All the journalists who write for the Chicago Sun-Times follow those rules. Now, you could argue uh, whether those rules are still valid, in today's day and age, in the day and age where propaganda is just so 
out there, disseminated all the time. So you can't, you don't know really what's fact from fiction, but those are the rules and they play by them. So Lynn Sweet called out Dan Proft. She called him out for using newspapers, which people believe in, particularly boomers, because they're newspapers, using newspapers to disseminate propaganda. She called him out for it. And instead of conceding like, yeah, you're right. I did it. Oh, well, so what? You know, which I could have kind of appreciate. If you're going to be a badass, you know, money, be the badass, you know, but instead, what does prof do? He does what every MAGA person always does. Cries like a little baby. When you call him out on his BS, he always like flip flops it. Like I'm the, I see MAGA people do this all the time. They always want to be the victim. They decry anybody who really is a victim for being a snowflake when they point out how they're the victim, but you criticize them, they turn into the biggest bunch of snowflakes in the world and cry they're the victims. So here's his closing quote. When asked to comment, he said, my answer, when you or any of the other employees of Pritzker's comm shop (laughs) take an interest in how and where and on what he spent $350 million over the past four years in Illinois politics. Then I'll entertain your feeble attempts to do a hatchet piece on me. Come on, man. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. Like, Lynn Sweet works for J.B. Pritzker, and that just feeds that notion. Everybody's biased. They're all working for Pritzker. The only man telling the truth is the man who's lying. Up is down, is down, is up, ladies and gentlemen. Let's see if that works in Illinois politics. We're also going to see if it works in Chicago politics, which is my way of segueing into my distinguished guest who's sitting on, looking very distinguished, ladies and gentlemen. He said he had to put his makeup on before he came on the show. Uh, And I think he did an outstanding job uh, because he's looking very good. The great Brandon Johnson from the Chicago Teachers Union, Cook County Commissioner. He's now a mayoral candidate. Welcome back, Cotter, to my humble little podcast. Hey, what's going on, Ben? It's good to be back, man. And that's a very good reference. Uh, was that a high school teacher? Uh, would say that again? Matt Carter. Was that a high school teacher? Carter, yeah. It was a high school teacher, wasn't it? So yeah. I, it's all middle oh. school, but it's a very good reference. I know you didn't do that on purpose. You're not that clever. No. But it worked. <laughs> uh, Brad, it's been too long. You pretty always knew how to throw a little counterpunch every now and then. You know, uh, it's been coming on my shows, uh, various uh, venues for a while. Uh, yes, Cotter was a high school, uh, I think he was an English teacher, but uh, maybe it was social studies. I don't know. It didn't seem like they do it a lot of teaching in that classroom, to tell you the truth. Uh, <laughs> so I don't really know what he was teaching. Uh, and the actor who plays Cotter actually turned out to be a gambler in real life. I don't know if you know that, Brandon Johnson. This show is uh, getting really interesting and kind of bad right now. Let's, let's try to refocus, Ben. Okay. Uh, and, and by the way, one minute in, he's already telling me what to do. Nothing has changed. The man has not been on my show in two years. Comes back, starts telling me what to do. It's how you know why I'm being a little upset. It took you two years, Ben. And, and it's, it's, I'm not going to be petty. We're going to leave that to the other administration. She's petty. I'm not. Uh, okay. Uh, f- fair enough. All right. Uh, so, Brandon Johnson, the last time you were on the show, uh, you were Cook County Commissioner uh, Johnson. It actually, it was probably not a full two years ago. You were uh, advocating on behalf of um, Elizabeth Warren 
uh, for president. Just think about that. A different uh, time as uh, was in the 2020 presidential uh, cycle. Uh, and now you are a mayoral candidate. So first question right off the bat, uh, we'll get into the all progressive issues. Got a whole lineup of progressive questions to ask you about progressive in the city of Chicago. But the, 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 the most obvious one, you got a nice seat. Uh, you have a position that uh, you can use to build a base, run for Congress, do anything you want politically or just stay there. Why would you sacrifice it all to run for mayor? Yeah, well, the sacrifice is what, um, you know, families in Chicago have had to endure for, for too long. Um, we, there, there's been a sacrifice of good quality, publicly funded neighborhood schools. We've had to sacrifice um, access to public transportation, health care, particularly mental health care. Um, there's been a, what has been sacrificed, of course, is public housing. Um, you know, Ben, you know, our work is connected um, in my work in Cabrini Green, you know, where I was, you know, a youth program director there at the New City YMCA. I eventually became a public school teacher and taught there in Cabrini Green at Jenner Academy. And, you know, when my students would, would wake up, you know, every single day, then they could look out their side or their back window and they could see the largesse of this incredible economy. And then what was in front of them uh, were bulldozers uh, preparing to destroy their public housing. And so my students woke up every single day chasing down an economy that's behind them while everything in front of them is crumbling. That type of tale of two cities, that type of um, stratified economy is really why I'm running, is to bring our city together and unite around values that reflect the interest of working people, to set an agenda that will move people out of poverty, and to, to set a new course for a city that has been labeled a world-class city, but it, it has only worked for a handful of people. And I'm running to become the next mayor of Chicago because I believe that I have a vision and a track record that not only organizes to bring people together, but around a set of values that protect working people and sets up folks who are living in poverty, extreme abject poverty in this city. It sets them up uh, to be removed out of that, out of that state. And so I'm humbled by it. Of course, I'm, I'm excited, but to think that um, a middle child of, of 10 who is teaching public schools, who is teaching in public schools, you know, 15 years ago could run one of the largest economies in the entire world. Um, it's remarkably humbling and I'm looking forward to that challenge. All right. Why don't you, uh, before we get in a uh, deep dive of all the things you just raised and the questions I have, just give folks a little sense of who you are uh, and where you grew up, that kind of thing. So yes. introduce yourself. Yeah, well, thank you. So again, um, you know, my father and mother, they were pastors, um, uh, raised us in a, you know, very loving environment. You know, both of them were civically engaged. My father was also a public employee. He was a part of the, the AFSCME union and raised, you know, me and my nine siblings 
um, in a home with, with, with one bathroom. Uh, my parents were, <laughs> were also foster parents. So our home was, uh, was a, it was a trip around the world. And somehow we learned how to negotiate and, and work through the dynamics of only having one bathroom and, and turned out to, to really follow in the footsteps of my parents. And that's what led me to my work towards youth development. As I indicated, I'd spent some time working as a, a youth program director at the New City YMCA, um, you know, organizing, you know, on the west side and the north side of Chicago, um, organizing young people and families to, to fight for better communities. And we did that through recreation and, you know, field trips and college tours. But I knew I wanted to do a little bit more. And so I decided to go back and get a master's degree 16, 17 years ago. And the same community that I was organizing in on the north side of Chicago and the west side of Chicago, um, I wanted to teach there. So I started teaching. I taught middle school, seventh and eighth grade. And in order for me to feel good about my life's decision, because I believe my father was hoping I would go into the ministry and become a pastor. But given the fact that that's a non-union gig, Ben, I decided I wanted a little bit more job security and protection. But I taught middle school because I figured if you teach seventh and eighth graders, uh, once I make it out of here, the Lord will say, well done, good and faithful. <laughs> Anyone who teaches middle school gets an automatic to, to pass to the pearly gates. And so over the last you know, several years, though, I've, uh, lastly, I've had the unique privilege of serving as an organizer with the Chicago Teachers Union, working under and alongside of the late, great Karen Lewis. Um, organizing for an elected representative school board, organizing to put an end to the privatization of our public schools and uh, organizing to, to make sure that schools are fully resourced with social workers, counselors and nurses, a full, well-rounded education. And that work, of course, strengthened um, our ability to really fight and advocate for working people. But even in that work, it wasn't getting us the results that we wanted is fast enough. So fast enough. And so that's why I decided four years ago to run um, for the Cook County Board of Commissioners and uh, took out an incumbent, uh, a very moderate, quite frankly, a conservative Democrat, way too conservative for, for this county in this state, and won by 436 votes. And I've been serving um, the west side of Chicago and the western suburbs over the last four years. So that's a brief version of of who I am, a politician and a son of a pastor. How about that? A lot of peas. Uh, so you mentioned the home uh, uh, that you and your siblings uh, grew up in. Uh, where was that home and what high school did you go to? Yeah, so I went to Elgin High School. So um, grew up in Elgin. My, my, my father's story is like most um, black folks here in Chicago. Um, he came up from Salus, Mississippi with his, with his uh, siblings as well as uh, – my grandmother, and he was the eldest, uh, my grandmother stopped at 79th and Ashland, uh, you know, where that, those homes that we originally settled in um, are still there by uh, aunts and uncles and cousins still live there in that area. My father uh, wanted us to have uh, a backyard and not have to apply to go to high school. And so he raised us, my, you know, nine brothers and sisters in Elgin. And, you know, Elgin High School was a place where, I saw firsthand uh, what a well-rounded education could look like. I mean, from auto shop uh, and auto mechanics and drafting, and there were honors courses. Um, um, and then there were regular, you know, old-fashioned classes for people like me. 
um, to, 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 to have access to, to a well-run education. And so I'm very grateful for that public education that, that I had. All right. You mentioned Elgin and uh, a well-rounded education. So let's start there. Uh, what did Elgin have? And again, Elgin is not a quote unquote smart kid school, like a, a selective enrollment uh, high schools in Chicago. Elgin is open to everybody who lives in the Elgin boundaries. They open the door and you walk right in. All right. So uh, it's the equivalent of a neighborhood high school. Only it's a whole suburb or a whole town. So what does Elgin high school provide? that the schools of Chicago do not provide? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I should acknowledge the fact that Elgin High School, District U46, is the second largest school district in the entire state, only second to the city of Chicago. Um, And one of the things that, you know, Elgin High School had that, unfortunately, many of our schools in Chicago um, do not have, and this is by choice, of course, because, as you know, Ben Merrill control has left our school communities decimated and devastated uh, for generations. But it was a very diverse school. It was made up of working people. Um, Obviously, that because of the area that we were connected to, uh, some of the surrounding suburbs did not have a high school. So um, there were wealthier families that attended. um, And there were folks who were living in in poverty. Many of the people that I grew up with were working class or low income. Uh, Because of the number of siblings that I had, we were technically low income. It just, it means that, you know, we ate every day, Ben, but we just didn't like what we ate. <laughs> I'll just say it like that. And we, we had repeat quite a bit. Thank God for spaghetti and beans um, and rice. Um, but Elgin High School had, like I said, I had friends who were um, in the auto mechanics course. Um, we actually had the trades in the, in, uh, at Elgin High School. I had high school classmates that literally build homes before they graduated, like literally across the street from the high school where homes were built. Um, as I said, drafting, uh, you had the arts. Um, this might come as a shock to you, but I actually was a part of the speech uh, 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 team there at Elgin High School. You know, we had drama, there was acting. And again, there were honor, uh, honor courses, that honors courses that students could take. Um, and here's the other thing that was awesome about Elgin High School. You actually had a robust um, sports program. I mean, we were the upstate eight, so um, I can tell you about some battles that we've had, um, you know, with schools like a, like a Nequa Valley or a, um, a Lake Park or when we, you know, had to go south of 80 and we had to play uh, Thornton and, you know, some of the other Chicago teams, some of the best basketball tournaments. I'm going to date myself, but uh, Elgin High School had these great holiday tournaments where Keene High School, you remember the big twin towers, the first time I saw the high school kid dunk. Uh, like Weber High School would come to Elgin High School, Keene High School, St. Pat's, right? And so you had like a very rich tradition of sports and recreation and arts and music um, and the ability for students to participate in everything. That's the problem with the city of Chicago, um, the, the, the mayoral control. Let me, let me clarify that. Mayoral control in the city of Chicago um, has lacked imagination. Um, it has refused to invest in our public spaces, and it has denied the residents of the city of Chicago an opportunity to experience a very broad, rich, diverse curriculum. It will right. extracurricular activities that not only help develop the person, but it also uh, leads to jobs and careers. And that's what I want to bring to Chicago as the next mayor. All right, let me throw this challenge at you. 
Uh, and I'm glad you used Elgin as an example. I presume they had an intramural program as well. Uh, every school will have a high school, a basketball team for its most outstanding basketball players. I was never anything remotely resembling an outstanding basketball player, but I love playing basketball. And there are a lot of kids just like me. And uh, the high school I went to way, way back in the dinosaur era, Evanston High School, we had an intramurals program. So I always viewed, I, I don't, the Thomas Hamiltons of the world to allude to the twin towers from King high school, they will always find a place in the city of Chicago. I'm more concerned about the kids like me who are kind of like shuffling through adolescence lost. And my position has always been since I've been moved to the city of Chicago in 1981 to start covering Chicago politics, definitely from 90 on when mayor Daly took control 89 on the people who run this city don't care about the average kid in Chicago public schools, particularly the black ones. They don't care about them. In fact, they want them out of Chicago. This is me speaking, not Brandon Johnson. So Brandon, you can feel free to vehemently disagree with me if you want to, but they don't care about them. I've watched this systematically over the last 22, this entire century. You talk about the new city. Why the new city, why closed its operations sold itself sold to a developer. They destroyed that beautiful facility with the swimming pool and the basketball court and the softball fields in the back. And a, they even had a baseball diamond that with a, that the, the Cubs paid for. They took the Cubs money, built the stadium and then moved the black people out of Cabrini green, sold it closed and justified selling it because the black people have been moved out of Cabrini green, sold it to a developer. Now you can go buy a, a t-shirt there or something. To me, that just seems like, Brandon, the people who run this city, uh, <laughs> Mayor Rahm, Mayor Daley at the end of his term, they don't want what you're advocating for. So you're running for mayor. How in the world can you possibly get these powers that be to invest in public schools that they don't believe in? Rahm told Karen Lewis, what is it? 25% are just going to flunk out anyway. So how can you possibly, well, win, number one, but two, once in office, get this kind of massive investment? Yeah, so you're absolutely right, you know, Ben. I, I've said this repeatedly. Um, the Negro Removal Act um, is a policy, and it has been executed by multiple administrations. And it is clear that black folks in this city um, are unwelcome. And, you know, whether it's, you know, closing schools, dismantling public housing, raising bridges, we've seen countless examples of administrations that have had tremendous animus towards uh, black residents. And, you have to have someone who believes in public education. You have to have someone who believes in public accommodations. You have to have someone um, who believes in the, the average resident of the city of Chicago. You know, look, I was not an honor student. You know, I was not a varsity baseball player or varsity basketball player. Um, I happen to have a, halfway decent skills in the football field, but you're absolutely right, Ben. We have to make sure that we're looking out for the average person in the city of Chicago because, quite frankly, you know, even with the policy that Rahm Emanuel put forth about um, community colleges, I'll just say it like this. 
based upon the standard that Rahm Emanuel established for community colleges in Chicago and how students who are coming out of CPS can benefit um, from the program that he implemented, I would have not qualified. I'll say it like that. And life was tough. When, I'm, when you're growing up in a home where, and, and I can tell you this, I've, I've, I've come home, been in the water's not on. Experienced that. I've come home and we've had to have, we had to have an orange extension cord from our window to the neighbor's window so that we can have electricity. I can tell you when you're dealing with those type of experiences and loss, you're not thinking about the five causes of the American revolution. Just not, you're not thinking about comma splices. Um, and the way we do it is the way we've done it in these last 10 years. We organize, you know, Ben, people didn't think we can get an elected representative school board. People said it was impossible. In fact, you know, a generation ago, there were promises made and um, they weren't kept. And folks said that you can't do it. And we did it. You know, as, as, as a Cook County commissioner, folks said that, Brandon, there's no way you can eliminate and remove discrimination um, from, from individuals who are seeking housing, who, are, who have past arrest rec- records. That legislation has sat on the county board for four years. I come in, I get it done in less than six months. And the reason why... I was able to do that is because I don't believe we should do anything alone. If we work together, you know, then there's nothing that can stop us. And I'm not, I'm going to stop that nothing <laughs> until the average everyday regular family, in the city of Chicago feels loved, protected and safe in this city. And that's going to require a, a deep sense of desire and love for people and it's also going to require us to have a budget that actually speaks to the lives that have been harmed um, for generations. And I'm committed to that. All right. Well, uh, budget is a whole other issue. We'll get to that before you get to the point where you're writing budgets uh, and confronting the powers that be uh, with your insistence that more money be spent on average high schools. Uh, if you are mayor, you got to be get elected mayor. Uh, and right now you're in the lane uh, marked for better, for lack of a better word, progressive. I, I think of myself as a lefty. Some people, no one calls themselves liberals anymore. So I guess I'll just say progressive. So you're progressive. Uh, yesterday we had the show, Clem Balanoff, uh, who was uh, o- overseeing uh, Chewy Garcia's uh, signature petition uh, effort to uh, be eligible to run for mayor. Clem pretty much said he is running, Ben. I'll bet you breakfast, wherever you want to eat, uh, he's going to run. So if, if Jesus Chewy Garcia is uh, in the race, that's suddenly two progressives, at least. And uh, my old pal Cam Buckner thinks he's a progressive. So that's three progressives, at least. Uh, Alderwoman Sophia King thinks she's progressive. That's four progressive candidates, at, uh, at least. So um, without going down the list any further, uh, how are you more progressive than uh, Jesus Chuy Garcia? Well, first of all, I think it's remarkable that we are now in a position where everyone believes it's okay to be cast as a progressive. And Ben, you're absolutely right. You know, this is something that, you, you know, you've been deeply connected to from the time you arrived in the city of Chicago. You know, what I can say is, is pretty simple for me. Progressives get to determine who the progressive is. And progressives get to make the determination by who's actually done the work. The entire northwest side of the city of Chicago 
which is which is really being led by Delia Ramirez. Um, they've endorsed me. Multiple IPOs, independent political organizations that have been pushing for um, climate justice and pushing for environmental justice, pushing for public education to be fully funded and staffed and supported, you know, pushing for mental health clinics to be reopened. I'm a part of that movement because before I was a Cook County commissioner, of course, I've served as an organizer and I've organized across the city around a set of values um, that, that, that speak to the cause of progressivism in this city. I've done the work. I've put the time in. I've spent time with families in North Lawndale, South Shore, um, families um, in Rogers Park, you know, families in Pilsen, Little Village, families in Roseland, all over the city of Chicago, from the first ward to the 50th ward, people who were fighting for progressive revenue in this city, where the city of Chicago overwhelmingly said that the wealthy need to pay their fair share in taxes. There's a reason why 70 plus percent of Chicagoans voted uh, to have a, a more equitable tax structure because of the progressive movement that I've been a part of. We pushed it. And so there are folks who will carry the label, but there's only one candidate in the race right now who has been endorsed by the progressive labor groups, um, endorsed by, again, progressive independent political organizations that have spread throughout, throughout the city. My work speaks there are people who, who like to hear themselves talk. My mother told me something. She says, Brandon, your actions have to always be louder than your words. My actions determine who the progressive in this race is. All right. So... I assume that the person you were alluding to uh, who talks a good game but doesn't follow it up is Jesus Chuy Garcia. Is, is that what you were sort of suggesting there? No, what I'm simply saying is that, again, it, I think it's remarkable that everybody believes that they're progressive. The, the current administration, Lori says she was progressive. Look, you know, Lori Lightfoot copied and pasted our entire life's work in the city of Chicago. And, and she has obviously made it very clear that, that she doesn't believe in anything that she ran on. You know, that is quintessential um, flake. You know, you know she, is, she has broken promises repeatedly. Um, she, has, she has demonstrated that she has no desire to defend and to speak up and out and invest in the lives of working people in the city of Chicago. And so whomever decides to cast themselves as a progressive, there's no one in this race, no one. And I'll put my record up with anyone. And that's why I'm in this race as a track record in the city of Chicago, advocating for not just progressive revenue, fully funded neighborhood schools, health clinics, um, police oversight, 
I mean, the mayor herself said that she was going to reform uh, the police department, but then she 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 interfered with negotiations that that that, that blocked, you know, the, the 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 most dynamic form of that legislation. Now they obviously found a compromise, and we have district councils, which will be a very a, a tremendous um, addition to government. Um, she also said she was for an elected representative school board and then tried to block that. That's also going to be a tremendous addition to government in the city of Chicago. So I'm speaking to anyone and everyone, uh, but particularly the mayor of Chicago, um, who took advantage of the hopes of people in this city and misled people as disappointed people. And now um, the people of Chicago have made it very clear that they don't want her anymore. And they want someone like myself who has a proven track record of building coalitions across the city. And that's what I'm going to do when I'm sworn in in a few months. All right. Now let's talk about uh, uh, how popular or how progressive Chicago really is. And this is something I struggle with uh, a lot, Brandon. So everybody knows uh, I'm a big fan of the Chicago Teachers Union. I don't make that a secret. Uh, sometimes they do things that leaves me baffled and scratching my head. I still think you were way, way, way too in with uh, Tony Preckwinkle in 2019. Uh, you didn't listen to me then. And I know you're not going to listen to me now. Uh, and it's ancient history anyway. Uh, Brandon is smiling as I say this because you know he's not going to listen to me. Um, <laughs> but uh, not everybody agrees with me. And this is a, a conclusion I've reached after 40 years of living in the city of Chicago. Brandon, I'm usually on the losing side of mayoral elections. I'm usually on the losing side of aldermanic elections. I'm usually advocating for things that never get out of committee. The people that I usually are rooting for uh, <laughs> I either uh, have enough sense not to run for office or get clobbered. All right. So and as soon as this race heats up, as soon as we get past the midterms and everybody's concentrating uh, on the Chicago mayoral election, man, they, they're going to be ripping you from one end of town to another. Oh, he's tied in with the Chicago teachers union, like this diabolical evil force. Everybody. It's like a, it's like a, like a, a, a dog whistle. It's not even a dog whistle. It's like a, you know, a bullhorn. So uh, how progressive is Chicago? I mean, the fact that everybody I always support loses, is that an indication? Except for the one time I voted for Lori Lightfoot and she won, and then she wasn't a progressive. So can you win being a progressive, Brandon Johnson? Can you defy the, what's been going on in this city since Harold Washington died in 1987, uh, an event that old-timers old like me still have not gotten over? Can a progressive actually, a real progressive, actually win in the city of Chicago? Absolutely, yes. And that's why I'm in this race. You know, look, Harold won on values. He did. You know, Lori won on promises. She broke them, though. So it's clear that a progressive can win in this city. The point that you're making about, you know, can a real one win? Of course. And history has already demonstrated and proven that. And it's why you should have supported my candidacy when I ran for Cook County Board of Commissioners. You would be 
you know, one or two for 700. <laughs> you know? So look, Jeanette Taylor won. Rosanna. Rodriguez Sanchez won. Carlos. Rosa won. Um, Daniel Espada won. Byron Cinco Lopez won. You get where I'm going, right? Lakeisha Collins, she won. Delia Ramirez, she's won again. Anthony Quesada. I mean, look, the city of Chicago is more ready now for progressive because the city of Chicago recognizes is that if we're going to bring real equity and justice into this city, you're going to need a progressive person running it. Look, Ben, the, the reason why this moment is hopeful, and I'm very humbled by all of this, is that we know who would have been the mayor of Chicago in 2015 had she not fallen ill. The city was ready for Karen Lewis. And to think now, eight years later, the person who organized alongside of her is poised and prepared and ready to lead in this city. And a broad coalition of black, brown, white, Asians, young, old, gay, straight, they're on the north side of Chicago. They're on the south side of Chicago, southeast, southwest, west, west, everywhere you can imagine. People have surrounded me with love, support, and dedication. We have hundreds of people right now who are gathering petitions, passing out literature, uh, posting on social media, showing up um, at community forums and meetings and talking about environmental justice and climate justice. Another promise that this mayor had and broke that they know that I'm committed to environmental justice because, you know, Ben, I think I've shared this with you before. I've gr- I grew up with asthma, severe asthma. And when the seasons change, like the season that we're in now, you could, you could guarantee that I would end up in the emergency room because I refuse to put on a hat, right? Because now it's warm. And then it gets cold, right? You know, I, I didn't listen, you know, and then I suffered as a result of that. And what was... You know, when my father lost his job and we went 18 months without health insurance, I know what it's like then to stand in the line at the Fantas Clinic and you got to get there early, stand in line at 5, 36 o'clock in the morning and the doors open at 8, 7, you see a doctor by 8 and then you would go on with the rest of your day and then you would have to return and hoping that when you return back to the clinic that the pharmacy had your prescription. And when I would sit in the evening waiting on my inhaler, just so that I could breathe, I saw Chicago, black, brown, um, immigrants. That, that's the Chicago that needs a progressive. The Chicago wants someone who relates to the everyday experience of growing up working class and low income and, and, and being in proximity to poverty. And you know, with an education and several hundred thousand dollars in student debt. I now know what a comma splice is. I know what the five causes of the American Revolution. <laughs> Though some people would argue that there are six causes, but be that as it may, I've gotten to this point because there were people who loved and cared for us. And we actually had um, a political structure 
that wanted to make sure that working people actually have access. And that's what I'm bringing to this race. And, and that's what I'm committed to. And that's what the city of Chicago is committed to. And that's why they're going to vote for me. Ben. They're going to vote for me. Uh, I'm just going to push back briefly on something on a tangential thing. Uh, you know what the five uh, uh, comma splice is. I'm not even sure I know what a comma splice is. I've been in this business forever. I don't know if I know what the five causes of the American Revolution uh, are. I don't know if I like could answer it correctly where a, a history teacher, a social studies teacher at Jenner School would say, no, yes, that's correct. But I do know this. I know how to find out that's the right. answers those questions. Okay. I know how to find out if uh, Dan Proft is full of crap or not. Okay. So critical thinking is, I always think is far more important in my humble opinion. I just have to push back on you uh, middle school teachers uh, than knowing uh, what a comma splice. I'm not even, I don't, don't even tell me what a comma splice is. I don't want to know. Okay. That's, that's like Karen Lewis always used to like correct my English. I'd said it the wrong way. I go, (laughs) So now you know, Ben, that's why I invoked her name, because she would do it all the time. Look, I actually believe that you have to speak multiple languages. And one of them, of course, is you got to have the vernacular of the neighborhood. So sometimes subject and verbs don't always agree. I'm okay with that. Listen, you're safe with me, Ben. Whether okay. you have famous places or not, I got you, brother. I, I remember she corrected Jesse Sharkey. I'll never forget it. It was after a, a whole night of negotiations. And he came before the camera. She spoke. And then they gave, they felt, okay, let's get, let, let Jesse say something. He said something, he screwed it up, but he corrected her. I'm like, come on, Karen, don't leave him hanging like that in front of the whole city. Uh, all right. So let's get to crime. Uh, and Lori Lightfoot, she uh, elbowed uh, Arnie Duncan out of the race, even though my old friend Peter Cunningham swears up and down. It wasn't the sharp elbows that got him uh, out of the race. But Arnie Duncan, and I always give him credit for this, Brandon, no matter what you think about Arnie Duncan from the days of his charter school days at the head of the Chicago Public Schools and in the Obama administration, he was at least advocating for a different viewpoint on policing in Chicago. I got to give him credit for that. Uh, and so he was advocating for just like rethinking how many policemen we have, how we assign police, whether we should have more police on the streets, uh, answering calls, or we should replace them with like, uh, mental health workers, et cetera. So just rethink because it hasn't worked. Uh, and, uh, Lori Lightfoot took that and turned it into, he advocates for defunding the police. Yeah. Okay. That that's what she did. She, she just kept saying the same woman who ran as a quote unquote progressive on criminal justice issues was saying defund the police. Your campaign wasn't one minute old before she was saying, Oh, Brandon believes in defunding the, I don't even think she dignified it by calling you by your name. Uh, <laughs> we'll see if she ever gets around to that, but defunding the police. And that's just, out there now, I'm watching this the madness of this midterms where uh, Darren Bailey and Dan Proft are trying to scare people into voting uh, against J.B. Pritzker uh, on the grounds that the streets are dangerous somehow because of him. And then they always throw Lori Lightfoot's picture in there, what that's all about. I'm, that's a whole other discussion. So what's what's the deal for progressives and defund the police? Yeah. Do you run away from the, the whole concept? Go ahead. You know, my wife and I, you know, um, next next June will be 25 years of, 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 of marriage. And I love her de- dearly. And she has been my best friend. And it's, it's, it's comforting to, to wake up and go to bed 
uh, with your best friend every single night. And, and I love her. And we're raising our three children on the west side of Chicago in, in Austin. And Austin is a beautiful, it's a dynamic community with um, tremendous potential. Um, strong housing stock. Um, there are some amenities there with some, some parks and some historic sites. We have major arteries that run through Austin, like Chicago Avenue uh, being one of them. But it is one of the most violent neighborhoods in the entire city of Chicago. And quite frankly, it's one of the most violent communities in the country. And there is no one in this race that, that thinks about public safety more than me. I just When you're raising three kids, my daughters, our youngest, and my, my two boys, Braden is eight, Ethan is 10, and Owen is 14. This is, um, this is our, this is our life been in Austin where, where violence happens on such a regular basis that unfortunately there's been just, it's, it's almost as if there's, a, 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 it's been desensitized. You know, my wife and I, we just changed one of the windows in our, our, our children's bedroom from one of the bullets that have come through our home. Like this is not something that is just simply um, a headline in the news. This is literally outside of our home. Remember a couple of years ago, the first day of school, the night before and gunshots rang out um, just feet away from our front door. And I was in my bedroom. My wife was in the bathroom and the kids were all in the room just preparing for the next day. And the shots are ringing. I mean, nonstop. And, and I hit the ground. I can hear my children screaming. I'm on the floor. I'm crawling to their bedroom. And I'm thinking to myself, is it our turn to be on the news? And when I got into the room, I saw all of my kids huddled up in the corner. We never trained them to do that. We never coached them to do that. They huddled up into the corner. And what was, what was most devastating about that night, it wasn't the gunshots that we could hear feet away from our front door. It was the fact that we just went back to bed, Ben. We just went to bed. If that happened somewhere else, you know what it would have looked like. The news coverage, you had had some random person from the neighborhood say, this never happens over here, right? But because it happens on such a regular basis, um, none of the neighbors, we, no, none of us went outside to check to see. There was some police tape and then it just went away. But it doesn't go away. And so when my 14-year-old son, who is a Bronco, um, we take him to Hyde Park every single day, within the first three weeks of school, one of the students said, Kenwood leaves out for lunch and is gunned down. You know, this is, a, this is, this is the reality, unfortunately. And, if, and, and here's what we do know, you know, Ben, and I don't know if this is just confined to progressives. Because the safest cities in America, they all have something in common. They have well-funded neighborhood schools. They have good-paying jobs. They have access to health care. Their parks do not close at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. The health care is also, we also include mental health. Um, public safety is violence prevention. That's, if, if, we, if we really want safe communities, we have to do what safe communities do. And I'm glad that you were willing to say out loud how Lori Lightfoot is trying to cast and categorize this, this, this debate. It, it sounds like she is in the Republican primary. <laughs> the way she talks about 
the fact that there are more police per capita in the city of Chicago than anywhere else in the country. And yet there was a mass shooting on the west side of Chicago in East Garfield Park. We, I'm going to push back on you a little bit. Arnie Duncan did not come up with that idea on his own. Now, I'm glad that, that he has found a way to contribute. I am grateful for that. And I've been a part of organizing work that have called this out now for, for some time now. And so is, is violence wrong? Of course. Carjackings is wrong? Yes. But keep in mind, some of the, the individuals that are being accused of carjacking, some of these young people are 13, 14 years old, which means they were five, six when their schools were closed, Right. Some of these young people who, are, who have been neglected and ignored are the byproduct of parents whose public housing was destroyed, whose jobs have been lost. Why are people surprised that after decades of generational neglect, where homes have been taken away, jobs have been taken away, schools have been closed, that now all of a sudden people are surprised that you're seeing an outbreak of trauma? Violence prevention requires investment. It's why I fought on the county board and pushed for legislation, budget for black lives, the justice for black lives resolution that led to hundreds of millions of dollars that are available for violence prevention work. We have $75 million right now. It's the largest amount of money ever invested in violence prevention in Cook County. I was Proud and happy to lead that charge. $25 million, uh, is coming to the 1st District alone in Austin and hum- West Hummel Park and East and West Garfield. Right? But it also requires us to, to tackle the issue of housing. To not just make housing more affordable and not just to create jobs, but a full investment in public housing. My, my, my cousins, my aunt and uncle raised my cousins in Cabrini Green. She was a teacher's assistant. Uncle drove a truck. I have two siblings, I'm sorry, two cousins now as a result of that are, are educators. One was a school social worker and guidance counselor. The other one became an assistant principal. So we don't really talk to her anymore because she went into management. So I love you, Renee, cousin Renee, if you're listening. When you listen to this. But, but it, it led to, to, to them finding their purpose. And, and what we have done in this city, we have taken purpose away from young people. And so that's why I'm committed to uh, making sure that we have real violence prevention um, policies in place. And again, that requires us to have uh, an environmental justice department that's fully staffed and funded to creation of green jobs. Uh, ben, you might uh, be aware of this, but when those uh, teachers and uh, community members and parents went on a hunger strike to save Diet High School, I joined in that hunger strike. Right, that, that, that this school was pushing for green technology, which the mayor of Chicago at that time, Rahm Emanuel, was vehemently opposed to that. There's a way out of this, Ben. There's a way out of this. If we actually demonstrate love for people, if we actually demonstrate that we're willing to, to invest billions of dollars over time to right the wrongs of, of previous administrations that have not only neglected working people, but have vehemently strategically and intentionally attacked black families in this city. 
And keep in mind, it was black families that helped usher in the progressive movement 40 years ago. There's no way Harold wins without the infusion of, 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 of the black electorate. So it's, it's, there's no surprise that we've had political structures that have worked to suppress the black vote. And you're seeing that all over the country. But the good news about the city of Chicago is that Brandon Johnson has worked tirelessly to organize across this city. Young, old, there are even some rich folks that want to see me elected, Ben, believe it or not. Um, and they're all over the city of Chicago because they know, they know, they know, they know that I am committed um, to equity and justice in this city. And that my work demonstrates that. And I will demonstrate that once I'm sworn in in May. All right. We'll leave it there. Uh, I presume you'll be back uh, several times uh, on the campaign trail. Uh, presume you'll stay in the race. Uh, if Chewy, uh, jumps in as Clem Balanoff swears up and down he's going to do. Uh, is that getting, is that a commitment? You're in the race to stay even if Chewy gets in? I'm in it to win it, Ben. I'm in it to win it. I actually ran into a good uh, old friend of ours. Well, he might be still your friend too. Haven't seen him in a long time. Vince Carter. Because uh, oh, I... Vince. Yeah, I announced in Cabrini Green where I taught. And, you know, you and Vince obviously have a long history of working with uh, young people in Cabrini. And that's my motivation. My motivation is not someone else getting in the race or not getting in the race. My motivation is making sure that the young people who have been neglected in this city and the families that have been neglected in this city actually have a voice that's going to lift up their interests. That's what I'm committed to, and I'm looking forward to the debates um, that right. All right, Vince Carter is not the basketball player who played for the Toronto uh, basketball team. No, 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 no. Vince Carter is the legendary basketball coach from Bon Steuben High School boys basketball coach and the creator of the Demons. Shout out Skeet Horton, uh, the Chicago Demons basketball team. All right. Uh, before I let you go, I want you to put on your pundit hat. Uh, in another lifetime, Brandon was a pundit. Uh, I didn't talk about that that much anymore, and let's just let that one slide. Uh, but uh, midterms coming up. Uh, all the uh, liberals I know, all the progressives I know are freaking out. But then there's Michael Moore, uh, the leftist filmmaker, who insists, he swears up and down, that the Democrats will prevail. Don't believe what you read in the newspapers. Don't believe the propaganda that is spewing out of the mouths of Republicans and nervous Nellie columnists for the New York Times and the Washington Post. The Democrats will be triumphant in the midterms. This is what Michael Moore is putting out there every day. God bless him for saying it. Uh, Brandon Johnson, do you agree with Michael Moore that the Democrats will be triumphant or do you agree with everybody, every other pundit uh, in America who says it's going to be a red wave? Brandon Johnson, go. I'm going to be hopeful, Ben. I'm going to be hopeful uh, that the people of this country are going to see through the rhetoric um, and, and, and stick with the Democrats. And I'm also going to remain hopeful that Democrats are going to get their acts together and, and be okay with moving uh, a progressive agenda. Look, when you are a sports fan in the city of Chicago, I mean, we are naturally hopeful, even though sometimes we struggle, but somehow every single Sunday, we just believe this is going to be the Sunday again. So I'm, I don't know if this is helping my pundancy, but I'm going to remain hopeful. Uh, and hopefully one day too, we'll have another world series in the city of Chicago, especially once I'm here and, and another Super Bowl, of course. Right. Okay. That's a talk and a dodge. Of our, I specifically said, is Michael Moore right? He goes, I remain hopeful. Ladies and gentlemen, he hasn't been elected mayor already. And he's learning. Duck and dodge. <laughs>
Uh, my nickname for uh, J.B. Pritzker when he was running for uh, office was J.B. Travolta because he was so smooth on his feet. You know, he could just dance around questions. So uh, it's so just ben, beginning, Brandon. Ben, in, 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 a, in another episode, <laughs> there are so many jokes that I want to make right now with you. I'm in <laughs> Chicago, and my communications team, they're going to they'll require me to stay focused. Uh, but but I think you are you're hilarious. I've enjoyed our, our our work together over the years, and I appreciate that. Even someone like you, uh, who has been disappointed, you seem you somehow seem to keep your sense of humor. So I appreciate that. Thank I'm you. looking forward to the nickname that you come up with me. Oh, okay. Dennis, you put up like some different choices of which nickname to use for me. All right, very good. Uh, well, you keep up ducking and dodging. Uh, it could be uh, uh, Brandon Ray Leonard, which is another, you know, I don't know if that's way before your time, but a great boxer. You couldn't touch him because he moved so quick. Hey, I can't hit him. You can't hit what you can't see. Anyway, I'm going to stop the sports analogies. And it, Brandon, I have no hope for my beloved Chicago Bears. You, you talk about Sunday. They're trading away. I don't get it. I don't understand. This is not a sports talk show. I, I do other segments where I talk sports. But I do not understand. Uh, you mentioned the Bears, so I'm just going to close it with this. I don't understand the logic. You're getting people to pay, pay top dollars for tickets and hope that what they're going to win. <laughs> and they're trading away. Uh, some of their their be- two of their best defensive players. I don't get it. Uh, so it's it's I, what's harder to remain hopeful about the Chicago Bears having a winning season this year and making the playoffs, which is supposedly the goal, or my beloved Democrats being victorious. Uh, in the, I think it's more uh, hopeful to, to back the Democrats actually uh, on this one, Brandon. Your thoughts? Which is more optimistic? Well, let's make it a poll question and see who wins. I'm going to go with uh, uh, Tuesday. I'm going to go with Tuesday in this instance. Uh, and so this is the, one of the first and maybe rare times that Ben and I uh, will team up uh, on something. Uh, and hopefully, you know, your record come May uh, will be more favorable because I, I believe deep, deep, deep down inside, you're hopeful for my candidacy as well. I can tell, Ben. I can see the way you do it. He can read it in my eyes. <laughs> All right, Brandon Johnson, thank you very much. Uh, The pride and joy of Austin, Brandon Johnson, uh, running for mayor of the city of Chicago. Thank you for coming on my humble little podcast. Thanks for having me. Look forward to coming back. All right, that's great. Brandon Johnson, I'm Ben Jurassic. I also want to thank the man, the myth, the legend, the pride of Joe of Walton, Illinois, without whom this show would be possible. And it's Brandon Johnson, Stacey Davis-Gates, and Karen Lewis would tell you, back home in Alton, they call him Dr. D, and the D stands for DeMarvelous. Give yourself a raise, take it out of petty cash. Peace and love, everybody. 